The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to SWOutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. Turn to 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel 23. Y'all Christian schools, y'all brought those Bibles, didn't you? All right. No? All right. Here's what we're going to do. I want to talk to you this morning about your... So, let me get this straight. We've got LCA here, and that's high school, right? We've got Trinity here, and that is eighth grade? Only eighth grade? Okay. All right. How, how blended together is eighth grade and high school at Trinity? Y'all in the same building? You're so, so at eighth grade, you're top dog in the middle school. Hmm? You should be proud of that. Some people are like, no, not really. The teachers are top dog. Good answer. So here's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about your impact in your school, whether you're 8th grade, ninth grade, 10th grade. Uh, LCA, ninth and 10th grade here too, or just upperclassmen? 9th through 12th, okay. So regardless of where you're at in school, I want to talk to you about not wasting your years in school. And you're like, oh boy, this is going to be like a motivational talk. But I want to talk to you about doing something that's going to matter five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, and even 100 years from now. Because the the reality is most people are not going to be remembered 100 years from now. Nobody's going to know. Like I've got uh, got a picture of a guy who was my great-granddad, and he died when I was in the second grade. That was on my mom's side. I've got a picture, and his uh, his name was Jacob. And I can remember him a little bit. He's a pretty good dude from what I've been told. But when you're in second grade, I mean, you know, you don't remember a lot about second grade, right? And the things you do remember are kind of funny. And then on my dad's side, my great-granddad died when I was 17. His name was Leroy. That's a good name, isn't it? Leroy. So is your name Leroy? That's a good name. You should. I thought about... (laughs) thought about naming my kid Leroy I actually did and my wife said oh no that would be mean but so that guy Leroy Holloway was his name and Leroy died when I was 17 he's a pretty good dude the only thing I really remember about Leroy was we were, he was a farmer he farmed he lived, had a big farm and I remember me and my brother were uh were pl- out playing army around the farm going through the cornfields with our BB guns and I remember we shot Leroy in the back of the neck with a BB gun and, uh, and then realized what we had done after we had done it and ran and hid. But uh, we, oh, man, y'all probably don't know what a whooping is. Do y'all know what a whooping is? When I was a kid, you would get a whooping. Now, if you get a whooping today, I think you might, somebody might have to go to jail or something. But anyway, I remember we got whooping over that. So, but I remember Leroy and Jay, our, uh, Jacob, I remember Leroy and Jay. I remember them. But I don't know that I could tell you much about what they did you know what I mean so your life is going to be lived and then it's going to be gone and and for you it's like at your age it's hard to think man I don't I don't really think about what it's like from going to be like for my life to end you know you don't most teenagers not all I know some of you this is not true most teenagers don't think about death your own personal death maybe you have a grandparent die maybe you have a parent die maybe you have a friend that dies and so you're confronted with death. At some point by the time you're a teenager, you've been confronted with death. Those two guys, two of the 
first times I remember really being confronted with death, particularly the one that died when I was in second grade. I remember seeing my, my mom and my dad cry because this man was dead. And I remember thinking, huh, death is like this, this sort of heavy thing. You know what I'm saying? And so it's, it might not be easy for you to think about, okay, I'm going to live 50, 70, 90 years, somewhere in between probably, and then I'm going to die. But right now I'm a teenager, so let me just have a good time and do that teenager thing. But you can think about the fact that you're going to get one shot at this grade. One shot. You get 8th grade one time. You get 10th grade one time. You get 12th grade one time. You get to do it one time. Now, some of you maybe have to do it twice, but for the most part, one time. You might have to take summer school. might have to take some extra classes. might have to take class over. And then, it's, and then that's it. Like you don't, when, when you, like seniors, am I right? You don't have to like amen me or nothing like that. But am I right? You can't go back and do ninth grade over again. That's a done deal, man. That's done. That is gone. And so I want to talk to you about looking from, from this side, where you are right now, looking into this school year and determining right now, I'm going to do something with this school year that matters when May rolls around. And I'm going to challenge you not to live like 95% of Americans live, which is with a sense of entitlement where we go into each day saying, what do I get from the world? What do I get from my parents? What do I get from society? What, what, what do I have coming to me? What's in it for me? But rather you live your life in such a way that every single day of your life you say, what can I give other people to make their day better, to make their life better. Most importantly, for those of us that are Christians, what can I give for the sake of the gospel that's going to matter in Jesus' name today and next month and when May rolls around? I want you to live your life like that. Because if you can live your life like that, that will matter. And 100 years from now, other people will have been affected that you don't even meet because of the way you live your life in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you with that this morning. So 2 Samuel 23, this is a portion of the story of David's life. I need these fans turned on. It's 100 degrees in here. These fans ought to be running. Let's turn the fans on. Anybody else hot? All the girls are like, no. All right, now, what, so when I, when I talk about the life of David, what's the first thing that jumps out in your mind? David and Goliath. What's the second thing? He's a king. Is that what he said? What else? Bathsheba. Look, everybody's going to say Goliath and Bathsheba. Like, you're remembered for your greatest accomplishments and you're remembered for your, like, biggest mess-ups. Right? In your own life, when you think back a day, a week, a year, you probably remember things you did right, things you did wrong. A lot of the in-between stuff you don't think about. But there's a lot to David's life. And David is a guy you can learn a lot from, especially men. I want to challenge you to learn from David's life, study David's life, because it's, it's so fascinating. A study of the life of David is way better than an evening spent playing Fortnite. I promise you. Promise you. And somebody's like, huh? No, not really. Yeah, trust me. This guy's life is, is amazing. And as a young Christian, I studied the life of David, and it, and, it, and it really shaped the way I see the world. Ladies, you should study the life of David. Because you can learn in that what it looks like when an imperfect man pursues the Lord over the course of his whole life, even though he makes mistakes and has failures, over the course of his life, he pursues Jesus, 
You get to see what that looks like. So as men, we can learn from David and sort of learn how to be like him. And as ladies, you can learn from David and see what a godly dude looks like. And then do all of that remembering that David is what the Bible calls a type of Christ. Now, if you've taken some sort of literature class, which I'm assuming you have, I'm talking to like two schools here. Lit, you've got to take lit. Some of you are like, I love literature. Some of you are like, oh, I dread that class. I always liked it. I always liked it. When you study literature, have you ever had to learn the word foreshadow? Y'all know what foreshadowing is? Yeah, foreshadowing. So foreshadowing is when something's happening the right here and the right now in the story, but it's pointing us towards something that's going to happen later. David's life foreshadows the life of Christ. So David's not perfect. David make mista- makes mistakes. But David's life foreshadows and points to Jesus who's going to come along later, and he is going to be perfect. So we can learn a lot about David, and learning a lot about David, we can learn a lot about Jesus, and that's a really cool thing. Anytime you learn about Jesus, that's a good thing. You study David and learn about Jesus, that's a doubly good thing. But when we go into the story that I want to read this morning, there's three things that I want to get out of the story, three points, and I want you to listen for them. And if you're a note taker, I want you to write these three things down, and I want you to talk about them in share group and ask yourself, how am I going to apply these? these three things in my life and live these three things out today and on the way home and next week and all the way until May. Whether May for you is just a transition into the summer or May for you is graduation and a transition into like adult life. How am I going to live out these three principles? And these are three principles that will matter for you today and they'll matter for you when you're an old man like me. And they'll matter for you when you're 80 years old. No matter going into eternity, three principles I want to show you. So a little background of the story that we're going to pick up, which we're going to pick it up in verse 13. Here's a little background of the story. The story is going to highlight these three guys. And let me tell you about these three guys. These three guys have lived their life with great faith and great faith leads to great action. And so they're men of faith. They trust the Lord. They believe in God's promises. They believe that if God is for you, nobody doesn't matter who's against you. You believe that, young people? If God is for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. The world's going to come against you over the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. But if God is for you, that doesn't matter. And these men believe that. And so because they believe that, they acted on that. And because they acted on that, they did great things, powerful things, acts of faith that God blessed. When you act in faith and you live in obedience to God, he's going to bless that. He's going to grow you. He's going to do great things through you. And so these guys actually, the, the way that they lived their lives out in great faith is that they were men of war. They were men of action. And typically what they were doing is they were fighting for innocent people. They were fighting for those who couldn't defend themselves. They were fighting against pagan people who wanted to, uh, like, like, who wanted to advance a very dark, sick, twisted agenda on the world. And they're fighting against these guys, th- those people. And these guys did great feats of strength, great strength, feats of valor. You can read about them. They're actually referred to as like the chief of the mighty men. That's a pretty cool name, isn't it, fellas? Men. If somebody's like, hey, you know, you know Ben, you know Josh, you know Justin, you know Tyler? Yeah, I know that guy. You know, he's chief of the mighty men. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? If that's the way people described you. Like, it'd be hard not to walk around feeling pretty legit, you know? Like, what's up, fellas? I'm a mighty man, you know? Hey, ladies, I'm a mighty man. Like, like, I don't know what these guys, but I think these guys have pretty humble personalities. And we see it in their actions. So let's pick the story up in verse 13. And three of the 30 chief men 
went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. So these guys are following David. David is sort of like a war, a war leader. Like in, so he's hiding in these caves because there's a powerful army in charge. A powerful, wicked, evil army has taken over the land. And David and his fighting force are living in the caves. They're sort of like, have you ever heard the term guerrilla warfare? Guerrilla warfare means you're not, you're like, you're not an, you're not an army that's fighting uh, for a government or a king. You're sort of like a band of renegades. And so they're living in these caves and they're going out and they're fighting against wicked people. Okay, so David's living up in the caves. These guys are hanging out with him. Verse 14, David was then in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. So here's the setup for the story. David and his dudes are up in the cave. There's a city about 12 or 13 miles away called Bethlehem. You've probably heard of it. And Bethlehem was under siege. Do you know what siege means? It means the enemy had overthrown the city. So the women, the children were all enslaved. Most of the men of the city would have been killed. It's a bad situation. And this enemy army is in charge of the city. Well, in the middle of the front of the city, right by the gate, there's a well that has really good water. But more importantly, that well represents something. It represents freedom. It represents God's favor. Now, did any of you, do any of you have a parent who served in the military? Okay, cool. Quite a few of you. Now, you understand when I say this, that when you see the American flag, like before a football game and, and the national anthem is being played, there's something that that flag represents, doesn't it? Like you feel a sense of patriotism and especially, my dad didn't serve in the military, but my granddaddy was on Omaha Beach. He served in the army in World War II and I grew up with a sense of like owing something to others who have fought for it. So the flag in that sense is a symbol. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? For Christians, oftentimes people wear a cross. I wonder by a show of hands, does anybody have a cross necklace, cross tattoo, cross charm, cross, okay, got a cross somewhere on, okay, cool. So we do that as Christians. Why do we do that? What does the cross represent? We sing about the cross. We think about the cross. It represents something much greater than that little emblem, doesn't it? It represents Jesus and what he did for us. So in our lives, oftentimes there are things that are symbols of something greater. Symbols of something greater. So for, for David, the well in Bethlehem represented freedom. It represented God's favor. It represented his homeland. It represented so much. And it was under control of the enemy. You guys tracking with the story? The enemy is taking control. I want you to imagine a, 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 like, like a group of combat soldiers and the enemy has crept into the camp and taken over their base and torn their flag down and stomped it in the ground and they've hoisted their flag. The flag of the Taliban, the flag of ISIS, whatever. And I want you to imagine soldiers from a distance looking at that where their brothers have fallen and men have died. They're not okay with that. They want to get that flag down and hoist their flag back up. You, you following the story? Does that make sense? That's what's happening here. So David says, oh, it says longingly. Oh, I wish I could have a drink of water from the well in Bethlehem. It's just not like saying longingly. I wish I could have whatever your favorite food from Taco Bell is. You know, you ever have that craving late at night? We're driving we're in the car about a week ago, me and my family. 
and it was late. We need to get something to eat. We're driving through the city of Knoxville, Tennessee, and coming through there. There's food everywhere. And, and somebody said longingly, oh, I wish we could find a Taco Bell. And then all of a sudden there was a Taco Bell. That's a good, that's like a, a happy feeling. You know, we're going to Taco Bell because they keep that drive through open late. Love some Taco Bell. This is not that kind of, oh, I wish I could have that. This is more, this is a deep longing. This is something down in his soul. Now watch what happens. Watch what these guys do. Verse 16. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried it and brought it to David. One verse. I think that was one verse. Yeah, one, one verse. Not even a whole verse. Half a verse. Sometimes when you're studying or reading the Bible, a half a verse will say a whole lot. You know what I'm saying? A half a verse will say a whole lot. You're like, that's just like one little sentence. No, that was like a whole story. These three dudes, these three guys, what are these guys' names? I'll tell you. Josheb, Eliezer, and Shammah. Josheb, Eliezer, and Shammah. You can read about them in the first half of the chapter. These three guys, they hear David say, what did David, what did David say he wanted? Water from the well. They hear that. Okay, they perceive that. They hear it. And I don't know which one of them starts the conversation, but one of them's like, hey, dude, look, David said he wants water from the well of Bethlehem. Let's go get him some water. Okay, I want you to understand, the well was surrounded by a garrison, which would mean like a platoon, a brigade, we're talking about hundreds of soldiers. How many of these guys? Three. They're like, let's go get him some water. I wonder if one, I don't know. I wonder if one of them was like, uh, you know, there's a bunch of guys down there. We'll have to fight our way in. Or if they were all like, or, or was it more like, dude, let's, I got an idea. Let's go, let's go on a midnight run and go down to the Bethlehem drive-thru and kill a bunch of Philistines and get some water for David. That'll be awesome. I don't know. Was it like that? Or was it more like, you know, real thoughtful. This will be a challenge, but I think we can do it, and it'll mean a lot to David. I don't know, but they did it. Twelve miles from the cave to the well. Twelve miles back. Twenty-four miles. That's a, that's almost a marathon. Okay, these guys go twenty-four miles to get what a a, a little bag of water. They, they didn't have canteens. They didn't have bottles. They had bags that made out of animal skin. They get them a bag of water to fight their way through had to probably go up against terrible odds to get that water but they were determined here's the first two principles you ready if you're a note taker write them down if you're not remember them in your brain right now we're going to make sure you get these first two principles that will change your school will change your family will change your life number one number one learn to discern the needs of other people what does discern mean pay attention care about like care about other people learn to recognize the needs that other people have so many people y'all listen so many people are focused first on self then on others learn to be a person that cares about other people first what is the opposite of this the opposite of this is to be a person who is entitled what does entitled mean entitled means like if i have a sense of entitlement it means i'm saying People need to do something for me. But if I'm discerning the needs of others, it means I'm saying, what can I do for others? You see the difference? And really, that's the only two options. 
There's not a third category. It's not like, well, I don't really discern the needs of others. I don't really just worry about myself. I'm kind of in the middle. Sometimes I care about others. Sometimes I care about myself. But at any one given time, it's one or the other. And if you're not caring about or thinking about other people, then it's all about you. And we're all guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. Guilty is charged. So the first principle is learn to care about other people at your school. Even on this trip, there are people who struggle with anxiety, depression, who struggle at home because they get talked down to, who have been abused when they were younger, maybe even currently. You need to discern the needs of other people. There are hurting people around you at any given time on any given day. You got hurting people close by. Close by. Talk to my children. I got kids that are y'all's age. I got kids that are older. I got, I got a lot of kids. I got five kids. And I say, pay attention at school. Pay attention to people that look, that wear it on their face. They look like they need somebody that just gives a rip about them. Jesus, you know, Jesus loved people. He cared about people. Somebody cares about you, even to put you in the school you're in. Let's love each other. Let's be a school that's identified by our love for one another. Jesus said, you know what? You want to know how people around you will know that I'm real? By the way you love each other. By the way you care for each other. By the way you take care of each other. That's how people, like people will know if Jesus is real or not. At least they'll know if he's real in your life by the way you love each other. So care about each other. In order to do that, first step you can take is just pay attention. Let me give you some practical ways to pay attention to the needs of others. Listen more than you talk. Look around. Be around. Be aware of your surroundings. At any given moment, just look around the room. I'll tell you another way to be aware of the needs of other people. Pray for other people. When you pray for people, God will line you up with specific needs that those people have. And be a school, be a class, be a person that cares more about other people than you care about yourself. Because I'm going to tell you something. In either one year or five years, you're going to enter into a world that does not care about you at all. Doesn't care about you. world doesn't care about you. world wants to gobble you up, consume you, spit you out, waste you, use you. And discard you. But Christ says you can go against that. You can care about other people. You can love other people. It starts with paying attention to their needs. All these dudes, I don't know if you guys are passing by, David's like, man, I could go for some water from the well at Bethlehem. <laughs> Marathon, sword in hand, coming back with water, bloody swords, muddy, sweaty, bloody. Here you go, David, got you some water. Say, what? You ever been around somebody that's like that? I remember, uh, I don't remember who did it. I think it was a guy that works here named Mike McCray. I remember one day I was like, I was tired. It, was been a, it had been a long week, late nights. You see, you know, late last night, wasn't it? You're out there acting like lunatics on that swing at midnight, you know, jumping up and down and stuff. We play hard. We play late. And it was the next morning, and I didn't have any coffee that morning. I remember I came in. I had to teach, I think, some of our staff. And I was like, man. I would love to have an Americano with an extra shot of espresso from Starbucks. Black, half the water, strong, you know? Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know what that drink is? It's stout. It'll make your ears wiggle. Woo! I'm awake. Make my heart flutter. Okay, I'm good to go. About 
So the closest Starbucks about take you about 30 minutes from here, and it's one of them ones that's in a grocery store. It's not even a real Starbucks. Well, Mikey showed up about 45 minutes later, walked in and said, I got you something. Y'all, if, if I believe you could get saved more than once, I'd have called on the name of Jesus and got saved again right there. I was so happy. But you can't do that. You know that, right? That's a one and done kind of deal. So instead, I just rejoiced. I was like, thank you, Mikey. Thank you, Jesus. You ever have somebody do something for you like that? Just out of the blue. Like, where'd that come from? I remember I was in the sixth grade. Sixth grade's a good year, isn't it? You're just kind of like clueless in life. Am I right? Sixth graders, man, they're just kind of bouncing through. Literally, there is no more clueless group in humanity than sixth graders. I love them. I love them to death. I've already, I've already raised three or four of them. I love sixth graders. Clueless. They might, you, you might see, they might wet their pants, they might put their shoes on the wrong feet, or they might know algebra. You just don't know what you're going to get with a sixth grader. Am I right? The teachers, too, the teachers are like, oh, preach. <laughs> That's that transition from elementary school into middle school. Sixth graders, there's a lot of things you could describe sixth graders by. Things like, they don't know unless somebody tells them that it's time to wear deodorant. Sixth grade, you need to put deodorant on. It's time. You need to wear clean clothes, you know? You need to take a shower or bath at least once a day. Like, sixth graders. I love sixth graders. I remember when I was in the sixth grade. Clueless, bouncing through life. At school, who knows what was going on. When I was in sixth grade, you didn't change classes yet. I went to school like in the Stone Age. Back then, elementary school lasted until sixth grade. Junior high, there was no such thing as middle school. Junior high was seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade. Senior high was 10th, 11th, 12th. That's the way it was everywhere. All the old people here can remember that. And I remember, I'm in sixth grade. So in sixth grade back in the day, you were at the pinnacle of the elementary food chain. You were like the great white shark of the elementary school. You know what I'm saying? Like you're at the top. Now, I remember, uh, I don't know if y'all have this at your school, but the intercom system, and my school had an intercom system that was linked to every room. I remember the intercom, there was a, came over the intercom and said, uh, Miss Roberts, and she said, yes. And she said, would you send Brody down to the office for checkout, please? It's like 10 o'clock in the morning, which means I'm leaving. I'm out. I'm going home, baby. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know. But I'm leaving school, and that's all I knew. And I skipped and hopped all the way down the hall to the office. I walked in, and one of my mom's sisters, one of my aunts was there. And I said, what are you doing? She said, we're going shopping. And we drove an hour to the city. You know you're in the country when you got to drive to the city. And when I say city, I mean like a bigger-than-average town. They had a Walmart. She bought, have y'all ever heard of G.I. Joe? She bought me $80 in 1981. $80 worth of G.I. Joe stuff. Y'all, same deal. If I could have got, I wasn't a Christian then. That should have brought me to saving faith in Jesus that day. I should have known there was a God and he was real. I remember coming home just, and I remember driving home. And I remember saying to her, why do you do this? And she said, because I love you. And I came from a family, we didn't have much, big family, literally didn't have much. We're not just making up the story like every other public speaker does. You always say, well, I grew up poor. It wasn't poor, I ate, we ate, we had three meals a day. It was 
But I didn't have, I didn't have much toys. And I remember she said, because I love you, and I knew you would really like this. I was like, <laughs> you think? Sixth grade Brody never got over it, man. I see, I see it ain't, my ain't all the time. I'm like, hey, June, thanks for taking me to get them G.I. Joe toys in sixth grade. She was like, you know, that was almost, that was like four decades ago. I'm like, I know, it changed my life. You ever have somebody do something for you and afterwards you're just like, that was incredible. Maybe something big, maybe something little. Like, learn to be someone who gives and does for people. Who's our greatest example of this? Jesus. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, he was equal with God, is equal with God, is now exalted with God, yet he let go of that, humbled himself, and served us all the way to death. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And you can't pay me back. It's a free gift called eternal life, paid for with my blood. That's the gospel. But too many people, even in the church, don't discern the needs of others, but rather they say, what can everybody do for me? What does everybody owe me? What do I get out of the deal? It's not just a kid issue. This is an adult issue. This is my peer group. This is every generation. That's the first principle. So they discerned his need. Second principle is they took action. They took responsibility. Learn at a young age to take responsibility. In other words, don't always wait to be told to do something. Learn to take responsibility. Take initiative. Have you ever heard that word? Initiative. This is the idea that you're a doer. You're not a waiter. You don't sit back and wait to be told. Do something. Like Don't waste your life. Don't waste your time. Be someone who advances and takes initiative and makes the world a better place and makes your school a better place. In the moment, make your classroom a better place. Take initiative. Take responsibility. Take action. Don't sit back and do nothing. Don't be somebody that does nothing but expects something. Let me tell you something, young people, and the Bible is full of this principle. Other than the free gift of salvation that God gives you, other than that, that is the only free gift in this life you can expect to get. God's grace bestowed on you gives you salvation. You should never expect anything else in this world to come to you for free. Learn to work for what you get. Learn to take action. Learn to earn your A. Learn to earn your, your position on the starting team. Don't expect because you showed up as a participant that you should get an A or you should get play in time or somebody should give you accolades or like give you mad like props. Earn it. Work for it. Get up early. Stay up late. Go hard all day. Give yourself time to play and enjoy, whether it's video games or your hobby or whatever you're into, do that, enjoy it. But when it's time to work, get your work done. Work at school, work in sport, work in music if that's your thing. Work at home, pull your weight, don't be dead weight. You will either be in this life, listen to me, you will either be an upward pull, in other words, you're helping people to be better, or you will be a downward push. You'll hold others back. You'll push people. You'll be dead weight. Learn to do your part, man. It's a life principle. It's a life principle. And the scripture's full of it. Read the Proverbs and learn it. You've got to take action. Read Paul's letters to Timothy as a young pastor where he says, take hold of these things. Fight for these things. Pursue these things. These are words of action. The Christian life is a life to be lived in action moving forward. Not sitting back, hanging back. God gives you salvation. It's free. 
take it, and it's never free again to be a Christian. Every day, it costs you everything to pursue Christ, love others, and change the world. And you need to have that mentality. Third principle. This is where the story takes a crazy twist. Second half, verse 16. Let's just read verse 16 again. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water out of the well of Bethlehem. That was by the gate and carried it and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. Isn't that interesting? Doesn't that seem offensive? Rude? Does that seem rude? does to me. He wouldn't drink of it. He poured it out. Say, what? Anybody got a water bottle, like a full water? Oh, wait, 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 wait. I got one. I was drinking water a while ago. All right, here we go. I'm really thirsty right now, so time out. Here's what David did. I need a volunteer that will run for me. Come on. What's your name? Luke. Is Luke that kid that every school's got? Okay. <laughs> okay, listen to me, Luke. I got a job for you. I am literally dying of thirst. My life depends on you taking this bottle of water. And this room simulates you're running a marathon. I want you to run five laps around this room as fast as you can. And then bring me that water back. He's a runner. This ain't no thing. Come on, Luke. Get it, Luke. Get it, baby. Come on. Be the man, Luke. Is that all you got? Is that all you got? Come on, Luke. Turn up the throttle, baby. Turn up the throttle. Turn up the throttle. Come on. 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 Get it, Luke. Get it, Luke. Get it, Luke. Hey, you're running so hard. One more lap. One more lap. One more lap. This is it. This is it. Run. 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 Come on, man. I'm dying up here. I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm dying of thirst. I'm going to die, Luke. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Give me, Luke, thank you so much. Thank you, man. That water's so good. Thank you. Oh, thank you. What in the world just happened? Did you see me pour that water out? That was rude. Luke risked his life. He was running across six-lane interstates. He was running through a war zone. He was running through Walmart on Black Friday. That's what that was. What just happened? Why would I pour that water out? Look at the next phrase in the sentence. Look at the next phrase in the sentence. My Bible's all flipped up and turned around. Look at the next phrase. Verse 16. He poured it out to, say it with me, to the Lord. Everybody say Lord. Lord. That's why you live your life. For the glory of God, for the sake of the gospel, for the name of Jesus. Why would David pour it out? Because in the olden days, there was a specific type of worship offering. When we think of worship, we typically think of singing songs and praise. In the olden days, there was a type of offering. It was a worship offering where you would take a drink and you would pour that drink out. And it was a way of saying to the Lord, I'm offering you this as a gift. All of a sudden, the value of that water didn't go down, did it? It went up. Are you following what's happening here? These guys risk their lives like Luke just did. They bring the water to David. David looks at that water and he says, this water's way too valuable for me to just drink it. I'm going to worship the Lord with this water. 
And as bad as he wants to drink that water and all that it represents, he pours it out because that's a greater act with that water than even drinking it would be. He pours it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. What's the third principle? Live your life in such a way that you drive other people towards Jesus so that their lives are lived in worship of Jesus because of your influence on their lives. What a principle. What a principle if mamas and daddies and young people could get this. What a principle if we as pastors and teachers and leaders will get this. What a principle is if you as an 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th grader would get this. If we would live our lives where we look at other people and say, how can I live my life so that this people will see Jesus more fully, more clearly, and love God more? That's my goal for other people. They know Jesus. They worship Jesus. The action of these men who discerned the need of David, took action to do something about it, ultimately drove David to worship God. Worship God. What a cool idea. What a cool idea. And I want to challenge you this year, as you go through this school year, what an incredible way to start off the year. But as you go through, to, to get to come and spend a couple days, a few days here at SWO, that's awesome, man. Don't waste this going back with the only memory you got is I rode a swing, I went down a river, I shot, like, that's awesome. That's why we have this stuff. But leave here, this is, this is a spiritual retreat more than it's a recreational retreat. And we want you to go back and we want you to love each other well so that people know what Jesus looks like inside of you. We want you to discern the needs of others. And say, what can I do to help people today? I want you to take action in making it happen. And your life, when you do those things, will help others to worship Jesus. And you'll be a school and a class that worships Christ and loves the Lord. There's an old hymn that says, only one life and it'll soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one shot at middle school, it'll soon be passed. Only one shot at high school, it'll soon be passed. And what's done for Jesus and done for others in the name of Jesus, that's all that's going to last. I can tell you that. I had an incredible high school athletic career. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody. I had a mediocre high school academic career. That's being generous. Nobody cares now. Live, live those things that you do in academics and in sport and in social life in such a way that it's not about you, but it's about others and the advance of the gospel in the name of Jesus. And then all those things will live on and have lifelong impact in your life and in other people's lives. Got it? All right, pray with me. Let's, let's pray. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.